Psalm 119, beginning at verse 113. I hate those with divided loyalties, but I love your instructions. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Get out of my life, you evil-minded people, for I intend to obey the commands of my God. Lord, sustain me as you promised, that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. Sustain me and I will be rescued. Then I will meditate continually on your decrees. But you have rejected all who stray from your decrees. They are only fooling themselves. You skim off the wicked of the earth like scum. No wonder I love to obey your laws. I tremble in fear of you. I stand in awe of your regulations. Thanks, Ken. If you are with us for the first time today, uh, just a heads up that in your bulletins there are sermon notes, fill-in-the-blank type things. Uh, they, if I get the timing right, they should match with what you see on the screen behind me. Uh, feel free to use those if you think that would be a help to you. Um, either way, whatever works for you is fine. All right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to begin reading with verse 13. Uh, what we're doing is we're picking up where we left off at the end of May. Uh, and so again, if you are new here or a guest, uh, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians verse by verse. Um, today, we begin chapter 2, verse 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul writes, and we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God, and they're hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit, and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. And this is the word of the Lord. Folks, this book is a book like no other book that has ever been written or ever will be written. You can open this book to any page. You can randomly put your finger on any verse. And what you're reading there is the word of God. That's not true of any other book. The Bible alone is God-breathed. 1 Peter 1.21 states this, Prophecy never had its origins in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that those who wrote the scriptures, the different authors that God used over the, the centuries, uh, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to do so. And, and what is expressed in each verse and word and, and book captures precisely the thoughts that God intended to be conveyed. Therefore, all parts of the Bible, they are of divine origin. We can't say one book of the Bible is more authoritative than the others because they're all divinely inspired. They're all God-breathed. 
They may have been written during various time periods by different people for different purposes, but they all convey God's truth. And that's why Paul praises the Thessalonians. Because when they first heard the word of God, they accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. And that's important because Paul states elsewhere, uh, well, Paul states here that it's the word of God that is at work in those who believe. So I want you to think about that for a moment. What is the work that the word of God is doing in your life? That's what we're going to talk about a bit this morning. Hebrews 4.12 reminds us of this. It says, the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Other books may move us. Other books might stir us to action. But no other book can touch a person the way the Bible can. Because the Bible reveals the truth about God and the truth about us ourselves. And it's this word that is at work within us. It is the word of God that worked in the lives of the Thessalonians to such an extent that they became imitators of God's churches in Judea. So remember uh, Pentecost, Peter's preaching, 3,000, I think it was, come to faith, uh, about that many. Uh, shortly thereafter, Stephen is put to death, first Christian martyr. Uh, the Jews have to flee, or pardon me, the believing Jews have to flee from Jerusalem. They go into the surrounding areas, uh, and eventually... Paul comes to faith, and he goes on these missionary journeys, and, and Thessalonica is one of the places where he'd stayed, and he shared the word of God with the people there. Uh, they embraced what he taught them from the scriptures as the word of God, uh, and they embraced it in such a way that uh, their life became so different it resulted in persecution. What would it take for our lives to look so different in our contemporary society that we experience persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ, right? We are meant to be in the world, but not of the world. We have been set apart. We are to be made holy as God is holy. We are to be for his glory. We're not to live as the world lives, Scripture says, but we're to live according to the pattern that we've received from God. And so, we find that in God's word. Question is, is the world seeing that in you and me? You see, the same spirit was at work in those who had killed the prophets and who put Jesus to death. That was the same spirit that was at work in those who opposed the Thessalonians, who persecuted them. It's the same spirit that's at work in the world today. And this new way of living that they've been exposed to and which they embraced resulted in persecution at the hands of the spiritually blind. Uh, they were immersed in the darkness of this world system in which they lived. The Thessalonian believers, they were no longer part of that world system as they had once been. They'd been called out of darkness into God's light, and they were now people belonging to God. They would no longer live as they once had because they'd been shown a better way. And the Spirit of God now dwelt in them just as the Spirit of God dwells in you if you've come to believe. But such faithfulness came at a cost. And just as the world hated Jesus, so too will those who carry Jesus' name, those who are called Christians into this world. Uh, the Thessalonians suffered great persecution as a result. Of those I spoke with up at Country Fest last weekend, a common theme emerged 
most of those I spoke with recognized that their life was not God-honoring as it was. Uh, I had one person holding a beer as he's talking to me and I'm talking about how he knows this isn't right, but he just can't stop drinking. It was an addiction that he had and that he was struggling with. Uh, these people wanted a better relationship with God. They were looking for something more than they were able to find in life. They were trying to fill it with meaning from all sorts of other areas, uh, but they were not finding what they were looking for. Most of them, in fact, I think all of those I spoke to owned a Bible or had some exposure to it. None of them were spending time in God's Word and reading it. And because they weren't reading on God's Word, they weren't meditating on it, they weren't taking it to heart, and they weren't putting it into practice. And because they weren't doing these things, the Word of God was not able to do its work in them. And that was the missing piece of the puzzle. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you getting into this book? Well, we're here Sunday morning, Pastor. Sure, we're getting into it. Are you getting into this book not just when I'm speaking? Not just when you're listening to people on the radio or on television. Are you getting into this book for your own study, your own growth, your own meditation? This is the word of God that's to work in us, and it cannot do that unless we spend time in the word. And that might be a struggle that some of you are having as well. Maybe God seems distant to you. Maybe your prayers never seem to move past the ceiling. Maybe your faith hasn't changed in any real way, tangible way, since you came to faith in Christ. Maybe you find yourself going through the motions of each day with little to no thought of God at all. Or maybe there's a hunger in you, a hunger for a vibrant, living faith where you see God at work in and through you, but such a life seems to elude you. And if any of those are true of you, I want to put it to you again. Are you spending time in the Word of God? Are you allowing that word to speak to you, the Holy Spirit to speak it to you, to reveal the truth about God and the truth about yourself? We are to be transformed, Scripture says, by the renewing of our minds. We're no longer to conform to the pattern of this world. That transformation, that renewing happens as we spend time in the word of God. It's what we fill our lives with that shape how we do life. And so... What are we filling our lives with? What's shaping them? What movies are we watching? What books are we reading? Uh, how do these things that we look at as entertainment, how, do they, uh, how does the time we spend with them compare to time we spend in the Word of God? What would life look like if we reversed those? If we spent the time we spent uh, watching movies or TV, spent that time in the Word of God, and then spent the time that many of us spend in the Word of God now watching movies or TV, what would the difference be in our lives? When we fill our minds with the Word of God, it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who takes that Word and uses it to transform the way we think, act, and do life. And that's what happened to the Thessalonians. They were no longer what they once were. They'd become new creations in Christ. That leaves us with a question. What exactly is the work of the Word of God? What does this Word accomplish in those who believe? That's what we're going to look at in the remainder of our time this morning. Uh, I want to share with you five ways the Word is at work and those who are being and willing to be transformed by it. Number one is this. The Word of God accomplishes a work of revelation. Ask yourself this. How is it that we know anything at all about God? The things you believe to be true about God, 
How did you come to know those things? The Bible tells us that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So what that's saying is this. We can look at the world around us, and we can see the sun, moon, stars in the sky, that, that multitude of stars across the heavens. We can look at the beauty of creation, the mountains, the rivers, the lakes, the valleys, the fields, the trees, the diversity of God's creation. I, I mean, God created a platypus. Uh, that's creative, right? You know, who would have thought of a platypus, duck bill, beaver tail? Uh, God is creative. Uh, from spiders and insects to birds to uh, larger animals, this variety we see, we know that there is a creator. But what we know about God, what we know about his character and his purposes and his ways, these things we know from the word of God. Consider this, the first book of the Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So it begins with God in the very first verse. And then in uh, one of the final verses we find in the book of Revelation, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And, and so the, the scriptures are bookmarked with God. And, and everything in between speaks of God as well. It directs our focus. It reveals to us who God is. It gives us the knowledge of God. Jesus told the Jews of his day that the scriptures they studied so diligently testified about him. So Jesus said, and of course this would be the Old Testament that they had, he said, these scriptures, they're about me. Now we don't find the name of Jesus anywhere in the Old Testament, and yet it testifies about him. The Old Testament tells us a lot about who the Messiah would be, uh, how we could tell it was him. The Old Testament, all of scripture, in fact, testifies to who Jesus is. Uh, when Jesus met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, remember what he told them? We're told that beginning with, the, with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So there are many different ideas in the world today about who God is and what he is like. A great deal of these, though, are based on our human expectations of God, of what we think his character should be. And therefore, the view and understanding that many people have of God has been distorted by our own preconceived ideas rather than informed by the scriptures. Now, you can turn on the television and you can be told things about God in a half-hour sitcom or something, uh, shows like Touched by the Angel and all these other ones, but those are not scriptural. Those, in many ways, are just the world's conception of what God should be like. If you want to know who God is, you need to go to the source of how God has revealed himself to us, and that is in the word of God. Because the Bible is a book about God in all the splendor of his triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we're to come to know God as he is, we need to lay aside the half-truths and misconceptions about him that we may have believed over the years, and let the scriptures, which have been written by men as they're being carried along by God, or by the Holy Spirit, reveal God to us. Because this is how God has chosen to make himself known. So the word of God does a work of revelation. But it also works to bring about our salvation. Peter testifies that we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. 
And James tells us that God has chosen to give us birth through the word that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. It is through the word of God that we learn what sin is. It's through the word of God that we learn that sin has brought about death and led to all the suffering and the darkness we see in the world around us. It's through the same word we discover that there is no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we find that none of us are innocent. We discover that we've clothed ourselves with sin in word, thought, and deed, and that we stand guilty, justly condemned before a holy God. We come to understand that there's nothing that we can do to atone for our sin. We cannot do enough good deeds to outweigh our sin. It's not a cosmic scale in that sense. Uh, when we understand those things, when we understand there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God, nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable with God, then we are ready for the gospel. We find we're without excuse. We're broken by the realization that every justification we make for our sin has been silenced, and we're made ready for the good news of the Savior. And it's through the word of God that we come to realize just how high and wide and deep the love of God is for us. The scriptures proclaim this wonderful truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so it's through the word of God that we come to understand that Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for our sins as he gave his life on the cross. It's in the pages of Scripture that we learn it's through Him alone that we can be reconciled to God, our sins forgiven, born again as new creations in Christ. You, you can't find these truths anywhere else except in the Word of God. It's through the Word of God we learn that it's by grace that we've been saved, through faith, and this not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And it's here in this book alone that we find the Holy Scriptures which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the Word of God accomplishes a work of revelation. It works to bring about our salvation, but so too does it do a work of transformation. Each of us is born into a broken world. We bear with us an image of God distorted by sin. Our very natures have been corrupted by the fall. We grow up living and participating in a world system in rebellion against God as we seek to gratify, as Paul describes it, the cravings of our sinful nature. We follow its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, Paul says, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, we're told that God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And it's that moment that we were born again as new creations in Christ. It's in those moments that our sins are forgiven and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But while it's true we no longer are no longer what we once were, it's just as true that in those moments we do not yet understand how to live a life worthy of the salvation that we've received. We must, as Paul writes, be conformed no longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because it's only then, he says, that we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, so many times people ask Pastor, what is God's will for my life? Or they pray they want to know God's will for them. 90%, if not more, of God's will for your life is found written in the pages of Scripture. We don't need to guess whether or not God wants us to share our faith 
That is the commission he's given those who are called by his name. We don't have to wonder if we are meant to spend time reading the Bible. Uh, the Bible, in many ways, in many different authors uh, who wrote the scriptures, uh, testified to the importance of reading God's word and the transforming power it has. We read God's word. We don't have to question, are we to love our enemies? We know that we're supposed to love our enemies. We're to bless those who persecute us. We're to love those who uh, hate us. We are to do these things. We know these things because Scripture has revealed that to us. Like newborn babies, Paul, Peter says, we are to crave pure spiritual milk so that by it we may grow up in our salvation. For man does not live on bread alone, Jesus says, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we feed our bodies meals each day. Most of us probably have three meals a day. How often are we nourishing our soul? Once a week, Sunday mornings, it is not enough. We need to be a people of the word. Therefore, Scripture says we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we might live a life worthy of the calling we've received. And what we're doing is we take in and move in obedience to the word of God. We're learning to do life in a new way. Life, a life shaped not by the desires of the sinful nature, but by the very word of God, right? We are not to live as the world lives. We're no longer to conform to the pattern of this world. Our lives are to proclaim a different testimony. As the psalmist declared, your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That leads us to the fourth working of the word of God in us, and that is a work of sanctification. In this sense, sanctification is the process that begins at the moment a person comes to faith. It's the ongoing action of becoming holy as God is holy. Just a little bit later in this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul is going to write this. It is God's will that we should be sanctified. So again, we don't need to guess what God's will is. God's will is that we would be sanctified. And that sanctification happens in part through his word. God's intent and purpose in the life of a believer is that we're to become increasingly holy, set apart for his glory, useful for the work of his kingdom. Peter puts it this way. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul gives us an idea of what that looks like. Beginning with chapter 3, verse 1, he writes this, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So that's where our focus is to be. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, Paul writes, the wrath of God is coming. And then he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. One of the first steps in this journey of sanctification and one that we need to keep coming back to on a regular basis is to set our hearts and minds on things above rather 
than on the things of this world. The reality is that typically we're consumed by the things of this world. We tend to be wrapped up uh, in the issues, the challenges, the fears, the anxieties of the present moment. We might spend our time focused on our children or our, our work or on making life better for ourselves. But these things, we need to view them in the larger context of God and his purposes and his plans and his way of living that he, we've been called to. So when we view these things of everyday life through the perspective of God's will and his purposes, what we discover is this. It's our faith that shapes how we live in the present moment. It's our faith that shapes and informs how we raise our children. It's our faith that shapes and informs how it is that we do our work in this world. It's our faith that shapes our values and our priorities. It's our faith that seeks to be in step with the heart of God. A mind and heart transformed by the word of God is a mind and heart that desires to move in obedience to that same God who has shown us such love and given us his word. And we come to know what's right and wrong in the eyes of God, not through our own thoughts and ideas, but through the scriptures which he's left us. As we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit helps us to see ourselves in the words that we're reading. And so when we come across a passage that teaches us that greed and gossip and rage or sexual immorality, that these things are not proper for God's people, the Holy Spirit can take that word, can bring us into conviction if those are things that we've given space to in our own lives. And when that happens, we move in repentance. We turn from the things that aren't right in God's eyes. And in doing so, we seek to embrace a way of life that is pleasing to him. We do not do this in order to earn our salvation. Salvation is by grace. We do this in response to God's mercy, which he's poured out on us. Jesus, as he prayed to his Father in heaven, said this, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So as we move in obedience to the revealed word of God, we're putting off the things of the sinful nature, right? We're being transformed by the reunion of our minds. We're coming to understand that these things are sin, that these things are not right for God's holy people. The Holy Spirit is opening our eyes and saying, hey, this is you. This is something we need to do in your life. We need to put off these things, and we need to replace them with the things of God. And, and, and we take that step. We move in repentance, and we seek to embrace that life that is pleasing to God. So what is it? that the Spirit is revealing to you in these days as you read God's Word. We don't want to read it like a novel. We want to read the Scriptures and allow God to speak to us through them. We want to give that Word room to work in our lives. We want to meditate on it, reflect on it, seek to understand what it means and what God would have us do in response to that. The Word of God accomplishes a work of revelation. It works to bring about our salvation. It does a work of transformation by the renewing of our minds. And it produces a work of sanctification in those who take it to heart and walk in obedience to what is revealed. But beyond these things, what the Word of God does is also a work of preparation. Ephesians 2.20 declares this, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, what are those good works? Well, those are works that are going to testify about God. They're works that are going to turn hearts towards Jesus. 
They will reveal the world to the world, the love of our God and the compassion of his people. And they will result in praise and honor and thanksgiving being given to the Lord. There'll be evidence of the change that God has brought about in the lives of his people. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we find this statement of truth. All of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Pardon me, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's the Word of God that is going to prepare and equip us for the work that God has set before us. Jesus told his followers that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. This is part of the ministry of the Spirit as well, to bring to mind the Word of God in times of need. But here's the thing. He cannot bring to mind what you've not stored in your mind and your heart. He cannot bring to the surface those things which you haven't stored in your mind. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be constantly returning to God's word and storing it in our hearts. For according to the psalmist, it is the word of God that directs our footsteps and keeps us from sin. Now there's much more we can say about the word of God. Uh, we've talked about some of that before in previous messages. What we've looked at today, those five things, they help us to understand what Paul writes next in this letter to the Thessalonians. Speaking of those who persecuted the prophets and who put Jesus to death and who strive against the people of God even today, Paul writes that these ones displease God and they are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So here's the thing. Around the world today, our brothers and sisters in Christ are being chased from their homes, they're being imprisoned. They're being put to death because of their faith. Closer to home, we find that God is no longer welcome in our schools or in our places of work. In a number of countries, it's illegal to tell someone about Jesus. It's illegal to do the very thing that God has asked us, commanded us to do, to share our faith, to make disciples. In some places, it is illegal to have the Bible or even to have Christian literature in your homes or your possessions. All these efforts are being made in order to keep the word of God from going forth and working within the hearts and minds of those who might hear the good news, repent of their transgressions, and call upon the name of Christ for salvation. This is the, the enemy at work in the world, uh, the God who's blinded the minds of unbelievers in this age, that they do not see the glory of the gospel of Christ. As scripture says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. You see, the enemy of our souls wants to keep people in bondage to sin and darkness, right? He comes only to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy, Scripture says. But Jesus has come that we might have life, and not just life, but have life abundantly, rich in the things of God. Not rich in the things of this world necessarily, but rich in the things of God. These Scriptures that we read. They testify to the truth about Jesus. He is the word become flesh. And so folks, I invite you and I encourage you, I plead with you today, do not cast the word aside. 
Do not consider it unimportant. Do not let it sit on your bookshelves or your coffee tables unopened and unread, simply collecting dust. Meditate it on a day and night, for these are the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. You've poured out grace into this world in Jesus Christ. And we can look at the brokenness in the world around us, a brokenness which we were once part of in the sense that we, there was a time when we did not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. There was a time when we did not understand sin or the consequences of it. A time when we did not understand we could not make things right with you and that it simply wasn't enough to be a good person in the eyes of the world in order to be right with you. But in your word and in conjunction with your Holy Spirit, you've opened eyes to the truth, the truth about ourselves, the truth about you, the truth about what Jesus did on the cross and the amazing grace and love that was poured out upon us in those moments. And Father, if there are any here today who have not understood the gospel of grace, this good news that we cannot and do not need to work for our salvation, but that is a gift freely given, then set them free from those misconceptions today, Father. Help them to embrace your grace, to receive it humbly and with joyful hearts, and to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Father, may we be a people of the word, that we don't simply do things that seem right to us or good to us, but that we evaluate all things by your word and by your will. May we become a people of the word, that in those moments when we are uh, speaking with someone about Jesus, or when someone poses a question to us, that, that your spirit can bring to mind those things that we've stored in our hearts. And we ask this not for our glory, not that people might look at us. We do this that you might be glorified. And that a people uh, who are perishing, a people who uh, are headed to hell if they don't receive Christ's grace and the forgiveness that we have there, that they would be set free from bondage to sin, that they'd be led from death to life as your word and your spirit work in them. So, Father, again, we pray your help to be people of the word. If we do not have that hunger today, then would you instill it within us, Father? a growing desire and a hunger to read your word, to make it a part of who we are, to allow life to flow from the truths that are found there. We ask these things humbly, and we ask them to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.